1: And we're back with vaccinate your fucking kids. Oh, God. That's the new name of our show. I
2: didn't think it was possible for me to really have a serious opinion about Jessica Biel. But for a long time, I wanted her to play the Carly Simon biopic. And now absolutely not.
1: <laughs> you wanted her to be Carly
2: Simon. When you have those bangs and that bone structure. Look, we only have Anyone a few Anyone can have
3: those bangs.
2: <laughs> I guess
1: that's true. Yeah. I'm going to say now it's for Lake Bell. Everybody on Big Little Lies has bangs now. No kidding. Yeah. The flattest bangs. You can add them to any woman, any white woman. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That should be an FX miniseries right there. The flattest bangs. Anyway, Jessica Biel, wife of white devil, Justin (laughs) Timberlake. Truly insane. Okay. Uh, Actually, I've been listening to his albums all week, which is which is, which is an unintended side effect of... Jessica Biel being in the news, right? Because yeah. then I'm like, Justin Timberlake's wife, what are you up to? And then I'm like, uh, I want to listen to Rock Your Body. Fair. Yeah.
3: I was reminded of the time I went to her children's restaurant that is now closed called Off Fudge. Right. Get it? Yes. Um, And I went there when I was a writer Jezebel and I wrote about it. And they had a club sandwich that you could add caviar to for, like, $30. And so, of course, because I was not paying for it, I ordered, like, a $50 sandwich, and it was terrible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now we know that there were just kids running around there. God, if I had known. Oh,
3: my God, yeah. shots. I can't believe I ate there.
1: So, the uproar is Jessica Biel had a meeting with RFK Jr., noted anti-vaxxer, who has called out the advocacy of um, needing to vax children and um, compared them to the vaccines to the Holocaust. Sure. Yeah. First thing so, that comes to mind, why not? Probably shouldn't be meeting with him, Jessica Beale. Right. First off. Second of all, when she was called out on the fact that, you know, hanging out with him is bad and is she anti-vax, she gave that dumb parting line that they... Always give the thing that they're not anti-vax. They just think there needs to be more science. More and they think there needs... conversations with your doctor. And, you know, yeah. morals, like some people, religions or whatever, like shouldn't have to get. Well, she that.
3: specifically was like, I think the, the bill or whatever that she was going to talk about was like. About forcing people to get vaccines. So mm-hmm. She was basically like, we want to like loosen the laws. So she's like, I'm still, I'm fine with vaccines, but like, I want to have more control. And so I think they're against laws that are making it like, no, no, no. Like you, you have to do this shit. Right. Um, which is, is like not the same as being anti-vax, but it makes me feel like you probably are anti-vax. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Weird hill
1: to die on or to
2: be right. incredibly infected. Right. Because if
3: you're fine with them, then like what are you upset about?
1: Yeah. Right. There are a lot of things that we all should be getting. Um, and so if you're giving people the option to say, uh, you know what? I want my kid to maybe get the measles. What's going on here? I, we have a measles outbreak in L.A. right now. Someone like. I, I got an email from Equinox. Oh, about the no, mumps. No, it was the mumps. mumps. Oh, the mumps. The m- Both of them start with an M. <laughs>
3: I mean, diseases, no one, like, words we shouldn't have to know. Yeah. We shouldn't have to know what the mumps are. Like, shit we figured out.
2: Yeah. Things that afflict people in James Joyce short stories, mm-hmm. yeah. We need to not be known about that stuff. Right? Only Pete
1: Buttigieg should know what those are. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> anyway.
3: I mean, she it, she's just so boring. Yeah. It's sort of... I'm Who knew like, she was
2: actually a sinner? I know. Guys, I did like that show, though, unfortunately. Any show You're that's about a woman
3: it's like,
1: what's wrong with her? I'm, she was in season two of The Sinner. Season one of The Sinner. Oh, wait. Season one oh, of The fu- Sinner. What is that? Why was I thinking Jennifer Love Hewitt was in season one of The Sinner? But no, she was in the client list on Lifetime. Correct. Not oh, The Sinner. Cl-
3: right. I liked The Client
1: List. The Client List was was good. What was The Sinner? She was, she was hoeing. Um, mm-hmm. well, um, the same like the USA worker.
2: series, where uh, and the second season, and Jessica Beale produced it, and she was nominated for an Emmy for it. And then the second season, it was Carrie Coon, yes, right? yes.
1: Actually, my favorite thing here about the client list was she's supposed to be the sex worker, uh, but every episode went through great lengths so she wouldn't have to do sex work, right? Like, she was horrified at having to give someone like a hand job once. I was like, girl, what are we really doing here?
3: I liked that she always had about nineteen <laughs> pounds of hair on her head in that entire show. Like the...
1: did she have like the kind of the
2: traditional Nicole Kim and Big Little Lies type wig on?
3: Mm. No, no. She had like an enormous like, yeah. I don't even know. I just feel like they like were a just sewing extensions. in. I think mm. this was maybe before white women had gotten into to wig technology. Um, and it looked like they were just clipping that shit in. Um, And she was and she's so little. So that's the thing. It was like she had this enormous head with all this hair and then like this tiny little body. But um, see, look, we start talking about Jessica Biel and inevitably you're talking about someone else because who
1: cares? (laughs) By the way, a white woman who has always had good wig work, Sharon Case, who plays Sharon on The Young and the Restless, her hair has been laid for decades.
3: You know, she didn't do that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Victoria Raul probably came in and was like, Mm -hmm. fix this white woman's hair. But (laughs) it's looked good. So I need to have more of an opinion
2: about who always has good wig work. I really don't. You don't. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> I mean, I should... Oh, yeah. Should I not verbalize <laughs> yeah, that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's
3: fine.
1: <laughs> anyway, I guess I'm maybe saddened by Jessica Biel. Why? I don't I don't know. I really liked her in Blade 3.
3: I, I really enjoy her on BoJack Horseman because she she's, like, making fun of herself. Like, she mm. plays, like, she does, she plays herself on BoJack Horseman, and, like, there's all these jokes about, like, who the fuck is Jessica Biel, basically. And so I thought she maybe had a good sense of humor. Now, I do not think that. Mm-hmm.
1: The joke is on children. Yeah. That's right. Stay away from RFK Jr., Jessica Biel. Stay away from Kennedy's in general.
3: Vaccinate right, your, this listen. This Vaccinate your children. That's... <laughs>
1: Uh, we have got quite an episode coming up today. We have Lauren Morelli joining us mm-hmm. from Tales of the City. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that gay show. I'll be screaming the words Ellen Page a few times. Yeah. We're also going to talk about new queer ally, Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, she is she is out there. She is throwing bricks. With that Harvey milkshake of hers. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Kyle Kashuv, mm. a young teenager who can't go to Harvard. He just wants to learn. You know, sadly, Harvard is the only school ever. Anyway, we'll be right back. Move over, Sean Mendez The gays are obsessed with someone else. It's Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, so... I guess we got to do this, uh-huh. right? Hell of a weekend for Taylor. <laughs> yeah, we are We are all going to be hunted down and murdered after this, by the way, because I'm sure the Swifties are ready to pounce. But... Um,
3: I can fight children. <laughs> I don't care. So.
1: Even ones armed with snake emojis? <laughs> <laughs> so after revealing herself to be a Democrat and proclaiming her support for the Equality Act on her Instagram... Taylor, of course, decided to drop a new single and, you know, become a part of the LGBTQ movement, Mm -hmm. you know, like full throttle here. Her new song, You Need to Calm Down, (laughs) is an ode to pride and LGBTQ allyship. Um, For at least one verse, but yes. Yeah, you know. Uh, it's not,
3: that's the thing. It's not, it's the video. Like the yeah. video happens to have a lot of queer people in it. The content of this song, all she did was change the spelling of glad, which frankly, if you hadn't seen the lyrics, you wouldn't have known that she'd done that. <laughs> <laughs> like there's, it's, there's nothing else in this song that is helping anyone.
1: Well, so let's get into the song first. I really take offense to the idea that, you know, we were supposed to know that it's glad like the organization, just by looking at the lyric video, because you can't notice it from the song. And there's also the fact that she talks about shade in it right she says (sighs) shade never made anybody less gay which by the way is perplexing doesn't make
3: any sense Ed
1: is referring i guess to the signs people hold up at pride parades you know because like she references people having signs in the song and i just want to get this out there being anti-gay calling a gay person a faggot is not shade. Leviticus is not shade.
3: Being (laughs) being an open bigot is not shade.
1: And if there is maybe the saddest thing that white women have done in America, it is take the word shade. It is not make just make white it mean, women. I know, but you take not, it like, shade and make it just mean any sort of insult.
3: You white gotta, people in general. Straight white people. It's white people in general. Men. Th- yes. And Wolf the,
1: Blitzer on CNN talking about <laughs> shade.
3: Multiple communities. Um, there are a lot of people to blame for, for ruining shade. I did my best. I tried with shade court. I, I worked very hard.
2: Oh, yeah. You were at the forefront c- of this. Clearly
3: for nothing because you idiots have totally ruined the word. It's I mean, this is like it's fully done. Like shade was already done. Um, but Taylor Swift saying it in a song is like the quickest way or like, OK, w- that's out of our hands. By
2: the way, she could have done herself a world of good if she had just said hate doesn't make anybody less gay because that's what she's talking about. She's yeah. talking about protesters at parades trying to like establish themselves as, I don't know, straight and above Mm -hmm. uh, better than Pride or whatever. That said, I also don't care if they are secretly gay or whatever. So that part of the, uh,
1: that component of that line also bothers me a little bit too. Yeah. And so here is my largest problem with the song. It's not about the fact that it's also supposed to be this pride song right it's the fact that that happens for four lines of the song the rest of the song is about her talking at twitter trolls right 7 a.m you're being a troll to me yeah um, 7 a.m you're being a troll to me I'm taking a shot of Patron wait
3: here's my favorite like can you just not step on my gown
1: oh don't step on his gown that's that's the
2: second no no that's the first one
3: like can you just not step on my mm. gown? You need to calm down. Yes. She used to be good at writing. <laughs> Listen, I Taylor Swift is someone where much like, you know, when like Lemonade came out and not comparing the two, but and all of these white women were like, it's not for me. Like, I get it. I get it that beyond. I'm like, Taylor Swift is not for me. That is fine. I, I and I've that's OK. But at least I was like, I get it. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't really, I'm not into this, but like, I understand why someone would enjoy it. Like the songs are catchy. The writing is pretty good. Like, this is not good songwriting.
1: No. And in the next verse where she says, uh, don't step on his gown, it's just this weird sort of equating the fact that what are all gay people walking around in gowns? Like, are we all Billy Porter or Jonathan Van Ness? Like, I don't get it. It seems very reductive just her whole understanding of queer culture and i get that you know she is a big important voice in pop music right mm-hmm. and it is important the fact that her video which we'll get to you know ends with a link to donate to the equality act right mm-hmm. um and It ends with, you know, just sort of you having seen so many prominent LGBTQ people in the video. And that's important. But there's also just sort of doing your basic homework. It seems like she doesn't have any sort of actual queer person in her life who's not famous and deluded who could tell her that this isn't really doing anything, right?
2: I think the the sentiment of the song, again, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think people are maybe a little bit wrong to say she's centering herself in the narrative when the fact is Taylor Swift is centered in pop culture and she's talking about something mm-hmm. gay. I, I feel like that's fair for her, you know, but there is something. And Dave Holmes, uh, who is just so fabulous, all of his writing about pop music wrote something for Esquire where he re- reiterated the sentiment. There's something about talking about this stuff in a pop song in 2019, like uh, that makes you f- sort of feel like someone who's giving yourself a nickname. Like, isn't it cool that I'm the anti-gay mm-hmm. whatever um, that said, and we'll get
1: into this. I thought the video was awesome. Mm. I like the video as well in a sense, but uh, I will say that I do agree with what you say about she's a pop star. She is centered in pop culture right now in 2019, but it is also weird for this sentiment just to be having in a pop song when we have now so many mainstream queer artists, right? You know, it seems like there could be something else that's going on here. And it's, there's this just weird idea that so many fans of hers get angry at you for even questioning, you know, like the meaning or purpose behind this and saying, You know, it's important. We need this now. And that's always the partying line. And I'm like, great. But, you know, sort of at what point do we stop having to ask for, you know, scraps from pop stars of you popping in with one gay song and then moving on with your life?
3: It feels like she wanted to let people know that she was like she want. I feel like she genuinely wanted to do something for like the Equality Act and wanted to do something Mm -hmm. and then worked backwards. You know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. like you probably could have just done something around the equality act. Mm-hmm. And it feels like she, you know, was like I want to do this and like let me how do I put it into the mm-hmm. song that she was probably already writing or something like that. I don't know. It maybe not, but it feels sort of like working backwards. It's
1: a little bit since like Reputation, it feels like everything that she's done is calculated with sort of marketing in mind, right? And it's like this song feels like it was you know group groupthink i feel like you know well, like how can you because... make it most palatable to so many different people and in the end it just sort of feels like cold what i liked about her former songwriting was it used to be like revealing even it was even when it was petty and like about um other um girls and music and stuff that she didn't like uh, it said something about her there was emotion in this this song feels emotionless specifically also because the lyrical
2: content is so filled with what I would call Twitter cliches mm-hmm. you know like the you just that you need to calm down vibe like the whole stay pressed yeah. of it
1: all yeah which the shade comment is clearly meant for her fans to be retweeting that yeah right? exactly exactly so that feels a little bit cold
2: too and also so she made a surprise appearance at Stonewall over the weekend performing <laughs> um, with, <laughs> uh, uh, allegedly by r- the request of Jesse Tyler Ferguson who's mm-hmm. also in the video so Nothing wrong with performing at Stonewall. I don't know if you know, do you remember when Kate Blanchett just appeared at Stonewall and lip-synced You Don't Own Me? Yeah. Okay, you can do kind of rad things at Stonewall. Madonna did that once. There is something slightly strange,
1: arguably suspicious. j Long pe- and Adele were just at right. like pieces recently. Like showing up at New York gay bars is a tradition of female like yeah. icons. There's just,
2: and like, there's just something about Taylor Swift appearing at Stonewall on the 50th in that moment with a pride related single that felt almost too on the nose. You know what I mean? So it's like, it it was sort of an artless stunt, even though, again, I know her support is very real. That's what
1: I mean when I say the marketing aspect of it, right? It's like, yes, your support is real, but I don't, I don't feel that in the song, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like it doesn't even seem like she's talking about any specific gay person that she knows, you know? And I mean like, one of the most prominent queer people that she does know, unfortunately, is Tadric Hall, who is an executive <laughs> producer of the video. And honestly, even though I enjoy parts of the video, I feel like why I don't love it is it reeks of Tadric Hall. Oh, like it looks like- That Disney-fied those, sort yeah, of gay thing. Disney-fied yeah. like, oh, here's a bunch of cameos, and it doesn't really amount to anything except trying to show us that you're- Famous?
3: You know, the thing, one of the things I find with, I, I feel like Taylor Swift and like Kim Kardashian put in this bucket where people get mad when you criticize them when they're trying to do something good because mm-hmm. the bar is on the floor for white women. Like, yes. it's just like in doing anything at all. And so it's it's like the shit with Kim and going to law school where you're like, I don't, we don't need her to do that. She needs to, she should donate money. And they're like, oh, but she's doing something good. It's like, okay, fine. You can acknowledge that, but also look at this in like a smarter way and say, is she the, the most competent person to be talking about prison reform? Is Taylor Swift like the most articulate voice to be speaking about the Equality Act? Like, probably not. And it doesn't mean that it's the sum zero. It doesn't mean that they're doing something bad. It doesn't mean, you know, but it's just like— You can allow some space to be like, this is self serving in some way.
2: And also, you're talking about the bar being on the floor. I think people are her fans recall that, you know, two years ago, we were wondering, oh, is she a Nazi? So, like, now now (laughs) that she's here, they're like, well, don't say anything about this. And I'm
3: like, you still didn't say anything when it mattered. Mm -hmm. And you will be, like, frankly, People who had like her, like the Selena Gomez's, I'm like those people you will forever, I think, have to explain yourself how you let that time pass and said absolutely nothing when you had the reach that you did. Like, frankly, forever, you're going to have to explain that to me and you're going to have to make up for that. And if this is an attempt at that, like, fine, but that doesn't mean we've forgotten It wasn't that long ago.
1: Right, because the idea was that no one ever really thought that Taylor Swift was a fucking Nazi, right? right? But it was the fact that people who were Nazis were upping your music, you know, talking about how you were connected to them and you like not even a tweet, you know? Yeah, right, right. Uh, Anyway, this video, this this Todrick Hall-ish thing. Yes, I want to say
2: immediately, I resist all... Super celebrity-laden videos. Like, <clears throat> this is better than bl- Bad Blood for sure, which is mm-hmm. a video I. Ju- what happens in that video? Like, Cicely Tyson appears on a hoverboard, just everybody <laughs> comes out. Going back to what Michael Jackson video am I thinking
1: of? That's mm. incredibly star. Liberian girl. Liberian girl is yes. exactly what I'm. I fucking up. love that video. I don't watch it anymore. Right. The end of that <laughs> video where Michael disappears and <laughs> is the director. Who pitched that? Okay. But um, oh my God, it's Michael. Yeah. When every celebrity is just happy to see him. You tricked us. Right. Mm. And he's and he's like grinning at nothing. <laughs> but this video has. Ella DeGeneres, RuPaul, Katy Perry, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, his husband, Justin Makita, uh, Billy Porter, Adam Lambert, Adam Ripot, Sierra, Haley Kiyoko, the whole cast of Queer Eye, Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> Laverne. Laverne, Laverne Cox. Uh,
2: oh, yeah, Ryan Reynolds,
3: Ryan Reynolds was in the video. <laughs> that was the weirdest.
2: Doesn't he peek out from behind an easel? Yeah, like
3: he's, like he's painting
1: stonewall <laughs> <laughs>
3: that because
2: we-
1: Deadpool is gay, I oh, guess. right. oh, sure, sure, sure. Oh, Some is of the time. He? yeah, he's he uh, Deadpool is pansexual. I haven't
3: seen that movie, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not really pansexual in the movies, he just sort of like makes comments about maybe wanting to have sex with guys but we haven't seen any you know
3: Okay.
2: Do you know what feels like the ultimate um, well done Taylor stunt though is at the end of the video when she is wearing the fries costume and oh. Harris, right? I thought that was good.
3: You know what? Here's my thing. I think she pitched she, it herself. She, of I mean, course. she to me, how boring is Taylor Swift's life where you're still saying shit like snakes and stones. You are still talking about that stupid, tired bullshit with Kim and, Kim and Kanye. You're still this shit with Katy Perry. And I know whatever you made up but I'm like has nothing else happened in your life where this is what you're still still with this shit (laughs) Kanye's moved on the MAGA like Kim is trying to get
1: people out of prison what are you doing Taylor does
3: anyone care you already (laughs) wrote a whole song you bad blood was Katy Perry it's like who who was still thinking about that feud nobody nobody still cared if Taylor Swift and Katy Perry hated each other because I we haven't heard anything from either of those bitches in years I just it to me it's whatever like fun, fa- like it just felt so on the nose and like oh my god who cares who cares I
2: disagree I think there is a mystique about her relationships with other pop stars and so I thought it was What's sort the of like a wanking- with Katy
3: Barry? She's always, they've been like openly hating each other. There's been so little mystique with Katy Perry, arguably, because think of all the people who she probably In the past couple years, though. I mean, no, I feel like they've they've made up, they did that stupid shit on Instagram with the cookies or whatever the fuck, which was very clear, like, okay, they're cool now. She tagged Katy Perry. Like, to me, she's- Because that was to tease the video. Right, she has been most open about her relationship with Katy Perry than anyone else that she arguably did or didn't like. To be fair, I think
1: Katy has been the most open. Taylor has rarely talked about it.
3: But she did. like people knew yeah. she didn't correct any of the narratives about mm-hmm. like, well, like you knew bad blood was about Katy Perry. Well, So like,
1: that's the thing that I meant, you know, with the Nazi stuff, you know, like Taylor loves to have narratives existing about her that she doesn't. Um check or correct right. and then, you know, they're allowed to subsist. I mean, I have that same problem with Beyonce when her fans seem like they want to burn someone's house down. Right. It's like, sis, you need to send out a tweet, tell your fans to not
3: be crazy. Yeah. Um well, she had Yvonne do it. I know, right? She had a problem with right. doing it. It's like, right. y'all,
1: chill. <laughs> the idea though, that this reunion between Katie and Taylor at the end of this video, I feel like sort of deflated the video for me, you know, because I'm like, I thought this was your pride thing. Now it's just about two famous... Pop stars like coming back together,
2: but I also think it's an like a for me an appropriate dénouement to the story of the video, which has like the drag queens as the pop stars like mm-hmm. competing with one another. By the way, I do have to say RuPaul was vastly underused in this video. Yes. He just appears and does some like CGI. Everyone crowd is underused because there's yeah. too many
3: people. Yeah. everybody gets five seconds on screen because <laughs> she's gotten she rounded up all of West Hollywood in this video. <laughs> you barely like Sierra. I missed her in the video. Like you, where barely, is she in the video? She's, she's married. Justin and Messie. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Like everyone gets like it Ellen was, a was flash. quick. Like yeah. everyone is so quick.
2: Yeah. I've got to say it was an endearing moment for Ellen though, because she's getting cruel summer tattooed on her arm, and that is one of the all-time bobs. Yes. Banana I mean, Rama stands. And also I feel out.
1: like she's cruel in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> just journalistic fact. Uh yeah. So if I could really just sort of sub up the Taylor stuff. I mean, I love stuff that she donated um. to the Tennessee Equality Project, right? You know, I love that she is putting this advocacy out there. I will just say that as a person who is constantly a target of Swifties because they have this idea that I just sort of hate her or pretend to hate her. It's really just this idea that Taylor is a person who has done things publicly that you should be allowed to criticize her over. Sure. Um, And obviously, stands don't understand that, you know, right? You can understand when she does things that are cultural appropriation or when she's like lashing out at Nicki Minaj for things, um, particularly when that was one of the last instances where Nicki Minaj was actually in the right. Um, (laughs) Remember those days? Um, But you can also still be a fan of her music, right? Mm. And... I feel like if it seems like I'm extra mad this era is because you've always been able to rely on Taylor for the bops. Like, I liked Reputation, you know? And I think that this album is just sort of meh. Well,
3: that the first singles. single flopped. Like, that first single flopped hard. Yeah, it didn't happen. Yeah, like, yeah. This like, is
2: the same problem, too, where I feel like It's a single where it starts off like, oh, maybe it'll ramp up. And it feels like you're hearing the first eight bars of a song throughout the entire thing. It doesn't go anywhere, you know?
1: Yeah, which was sort of what Look What You Made Me Do um, sort of did. But I think that that song succeeds a bit more, even though, as I said, we said the past two albums just feel sort of like group think to get people to sort of respond on Twitter with lines. And they don't really seem to have that much emotion in them. There are, um, you know, deep cuts on reputation, you know, like um, Getaway Car and like- New Year's uh, Day. Yeah, you know, and uh, Dancing With Our Hands Tied that I feel are like songs that feel like throwback Taylor because they're about something. Mm -hmm. But right now, it just seems like the singles that she's pushing are to put out this image that she wants to convey. And it's just not that appealing.
3: Doesn't it also, I feel like in- 2019, like Katy Perry and and Taylor Swift, feel a little like I don't know where they fit in with this right now in this pop. Mm-hmm. In particular, Katy Perry, like I, I don't know if she has music coming well, out soon. Katie but I'm is like
1: interesting because her new single, um, "Never Really Over," it, actually has sort of really captured a lot of gaze.
2: I've seen people lip syncing that thing seventy thousand yeah. times on Instagram, and yeah. it is like a pretty remarkably but, good single. But mm-hmm. for
3: someone who was like an enormous pop star you're Mm -hmm. like no that song is not in the way that like you go anywhere you're hearing a Katy Perry song like I I I wonder with the two of them like the footing that they're gonna find because I just don't I don't know I just I don't see it right now and not that it's impossible Mm -hmm. but like especially because Taylor's first single was like such a like nothing moment Mm -hmm. I'm like oh how are you gonna kind of like, how are you going to get back in here?
1: Right. Here's here's that sort of weird relevance question. You know, it's like you look at the pop stars sort of from that era and you can see like, you know, Beyonce is a person who has moved on from trying to dominate the charts or anything, right? She's just sort of making personal albums. She's making it for her fan base, um, really just sort of doing what she sort of wants to do. And it seems like the era of trying to get those... Hits trying to have everybody talking about your music is still what Taylor and Katy sort of want. Uh, and I just don't know if that is they're gonna possible to... anymore. Katy sort of came out during Coachella for Zedd's um, set to do their song 365, which I like, but it was just sort of like, oh, okay, Katy Perry's here. You know, it's like yeah. they don't really feel like they're making events anymore.
2: Well, they're about to turn into like the 30-something pops. i mean, like, will someone like Taylor Swift, someone like Katy Perry be a pink, you know, like, can they do it? It mm-hmm. is an interesting question because I, I honestly think of them as like embodying, you know, what like being a millennial, you know, like mm-hmm. a young millennial. Now yeah. we're getting older. Can and they not just nothing?
1: Beyonce, but, you know, like Lady Gaga, she uh, went through a phase where, you know, we were sort of like, girl, what you doing? And she's managed to transform herself and make herself a new kind of like era. You Yeah, know?
3: it feels like they're both still trying to come for Ariana. And like, that's not the fight you want to get in right now. (laughs) Even Rihanna
1: has been like, I'm moving into this lane. Like Mm.
3: Ariana Grande is like the, the young poppy pop star right now. And like, I don't think, I don't think a new Katy Perry single is going to change that. Like that's not, you're not going to go toe to toe with her right now. So like, don't try to just do something else.
2: And Ed Sheeran's going to stay exactly the same and still beat everybody. I'm just sorry. It's the truth. Him and Drake? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it really... It,
4: it, it, it,
1: <laughs> uh, misogyny and the patriarchy always wins. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Welcome to Keep It. When we're back, Lauren Morelli joins us. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis. Yes? When you see... Joining us today is writer and co-executive producer of Orange is the New Black. You've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And executive producer and showrunner of the new Netflix series, Tales of the City. Welcome, Lauren Morelli. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. I'm legitimately so excited to be here.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even lying. (laughs) It's not even like the bullshit thing.
1: Uh, No, I am always shocked when someone comes in and they're like, I've been listening to Keep It. Oh, my God. You re- wait, really? I mean, you know.
3: <gasps> well, I, now now you have to fight Mandy Moore, maybe, for mm-hmm. our most ardent listener. <gasps> I will she, fight Mandy Moore. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I say that every morning <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just to psych myself up.
1: Because
3: I feel like she was as, like the energy she was that really I'm getting. Yeah. Oh, guys, are Mandy and I supposed to be friends? Probably. <laughs> Great. This is, this is going great for me already.
2: <laughs> just get together, listen to the show. Yeah. Tales of the City, I just <laughs> want to say, is so much fun to watch for a number of reasons. But the number one thing I want to say is the mix of true legends and people who are just, I would probably starting out as actors, is so exciting to watch. I love seeing them interact. Um, I was just telling Ira it is disturbing that Olympia Dukakis looks the exact same as she did in Moonstruck. She is a killer. I guys, love her on this show. She's
5: eighty-seven years old. Yes,
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> she's eighty-seven, aging up yes. to play ninety,
2: <laughs> and she's still got like the expressions, like the delivery. I just like everything about her is just crackerjack. Can yeah. you tell me about like just the mix of these like legends and these like newbies and how much is? I I hope that's like a really fun atmosphere on set.
5: It was so fun. It was very much what the show ended being off screen, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like Laura Linney sitting Garcia down, who's playing Jake on the show, who's like this young trans guy, and being like, let me show you, you've never been on screen before, let me show you like how to break down a script, like let me show you what your angles are and what coverage means. I'm going to cry, this is so fun. It was so fun and there was such an incredible like air of mentorship and generosity and it was just... Really cool.
1: It was really fun. Tell me a bit about what it was like, even sort of bringing tales of the city back. Because I remember, you know, the miniseries, and I remember, you know, reading a couple of the books when I was, you know, younger and gay, and being like, "What is this Uh gay soap opera?" (laughs) Uh, The books are wild.
5: The books are wild. Yeah, I keep (laughs) saying that, like, (laughs) because sometimes I feel like people who are watching the current iteration. It's it's such a weird specific tone that Armistead, uh, our patron saint, delivered, and like I'm like you guys in the original series, like you think you're watching, I don't know, like a warm family drama, and then in the last episode, someone's a pedophile and they get pushed off a cliff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like trying to remind us in the room of that a lot because mm-hmm. it's just such a weird tone, and I was like, I don't know what people are gonna make of this, but it's just what Tales has always been. Like mm-hmm. it's so soapy, it's for sure campy, but it's
3: also like hopefully warm and. Like lovely to sit through. Can you talk about your writers' room because you yeah. had an all queer writers' room, right? Which yes. I feel like it is so rare in. Ho- I mean, it's rare in Hollywood for not a group of straight white men to be writing anything, but yeah, yeah. to have like the actual people being represented on screen making up the writers' room is rare for any any group. <laughs> yeah, it felt. I don't know. It just felt important to me. It mm-hmm. felt like it's so rare that we
5: get chances to tell these stories, especially like a thing I started thinking about a lot is, is queer people. When we get shows, it's like the gay show, the lesbian show, the trans mm-hmm. show. And it felt like a really unique opportunity to have um, such intersectionality on the show. And I was like, well, I understand how to be like a white lesbian who's 36 and that's mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. let me make sure that we're not presenting ourselves as like one thing, which we often are, right? Like someone who has a different race or class or gender identity than i do has a very different experience of being queer and i just wanted to represent as many of those identities as i could in the room
1: yeah if i can say one thing about the show and what's so beautiful about it is it's not you know the gay show it's not the trans show it um it really is just sort of mixing these different queer stories together and it was great to see you know obviously as a gay man to see um Murray Bartlett and Charlie <laughs> Barnett um, dating on this show because they are gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> Charlie
4: Barnett
5: and, as a lesbian is gonna <laughs> be <right>. too. <laughs> uh,
1: And um, I'm also friends with Matthew Reach. Oh, uh, you are? And he's so Oof. great in that too. What a dream. Um, but then you know, I thought the trans storyline is just really great in this too. And um, you. also you have a beautiful flashback episode 8, which is set in the 60s and Jen Richards plays Olympia Dukakis' character. And I thought that that was also a really good way to sort of acknowledge that, you know, like Olympia obviously had to come back, you know, but, you know, she was playing a trans woman back when trans women weren't getting roles. Mm -hmm. And now if you're doing a flashback episode about her. You could have an actual trans woman playing her. And I love just the cast of characters in that, too.
5: Thank you so much. Yeah, that episode was so much work. (laughs) And and took us so long in the room to make sure. It was just so tricky, you know? It's like you don't want to... You want to tell, like, really complicated, nuanced stories while not doing any harm, Mm. right? Like, I try to stay away from, like, getting it right. Because I think then we just end up with, like magical queer people who don't have any
3: flaws. Are Mm -hmm. you saying it's hard to write complicated, nuanced stories? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so glad that (laughs) that we did it so well. You know?
5: (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah. um, I'm just so smart in that I'm ahead of that curve. It's
2: really (laughs) difficult. It's really hard. Yeah. I mean, something that's also just uh, rad about this, in addition to the LGBT writers room, is there's so many LGBT actors. Mm. Can you talk about just like, what's it like having those people on a show like this?
5: You know what's amazing, even from, like, a point of self-protection and making sure that you're doing the best job you can is, like— when you have someone coming in like Charlie Barnett let's say and he reads a scene and he has his own life experience to contribute to that then you get to keep having the conversation on set right so it's not just like here here are the pages and now you're going to show up and do your job and go home it's like let's talk about like you know when Charlie and Murray are doing a sex scene what you guys want to do and what your own life experience has been and like how do we make this a safe inclusive environment it just it feels like um the script is a starting point, and then it gets richer from there, which is really cool.
2: That fucking rules. Yeah, yeah I really know. did. <laughs> and by the way, just and every time I see Ellen Page on screen, too, she just has like a kind of mythically cool quality that is singular. I'm I, always so excited to see her again.
5: That's so well said. Yeah, it's like she does this very specific thing that is just like, and she never, you know, like when you read the words on the page, she never. Does what I imagined, but what she does is like better than you imagine, which is so cool.
1: Yeah. um, No, it was really interesting seeing this series in SF2, you know, because, I mean, I was one of the 10 people who watched Looking. And, (laughs) um, And it was fun just sort of seeing what... You know, a diverse room can bring out of mm. queer stories. It was interesting seeing Charlie just sort of in scenes, uh, seen in episode four, uh, where he's at a dinner party with like older white gay men, you know, who survived AIDS, you know, and they're from a completely different generation. And him, you know, being upset with them for using slurs they shouldn't be using for trans women and um, for just sort of coming from a different generation and sort of being racist, you know, yeah. and um, <laughs> being able to see a young. Black character mm. who's queer, um, expressing that in this, you know, series. I thought there were a row of really beautiful moments. We sort of got that on Vita too. We just had Tanya Saracho here. Heard. Um and I just think, you know, there's something about specificity that we're finally seeing in queer stories on TV yeah. that is so exciting. Can you tell us a bit about Orange is the New Black? You know, sure. because that had a lot of queer stories blended into it, too.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, like, so many of those queer stories came out of, rather than being like, we want to tell queer stories, it's just like, well, it's a bunch of women in prison, so, <laughs> so they're having sex. <laughs> um, uh, but... You know, in retrospect, there were—I mean, I was obviously uh, coming out over the first couple seasons, so I was, like, starting to identify as queer, but there Mm -hmm. was another lesbian in the room. So there was a fair amount of representation in the room, and um, and we had lots of conversations about, like— Season three, I got a real bee in my bonnet about having a sex scene for Leah Delaria, who mm-hmm. played Big Boo, because I was just like, well, how do we keep pushing the envelope? Like, how do we see a butch woman having sex? Because, like, we get to see them represented on TV, but we don't necessarily get to see them sexualized, mm-hmm.
3: which I think is important. How does it feel? I mean, so Orange is New Black is coming to an end. Um, and to be, I feel like that show, not only just it being on Netflix and being, like, arguably the first huge hit of for Netflix and like this new era and like really ushering in this era of like, not just streaming, but getting to tell stories more freely because you're at a Netflix, you're at an Amazon or what have you. Um, And I'm wondering how you look back at being a part of that. And then also then a show that had very few men in it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You know, what's crazy.
5: I, well, first of all, I've only ever worked at Netflix Mm-hmm. which is so weird um and when I got hired on Orange, it was my first writing job. And at the time, it was like it was Orange and it was House of Cards and Netflix was still a DVD company. Yeah. <laughs> so I had been like trying to get staff for years and years and years. And then it happened and everyone was like, oh, my God, it's like a web series. Congratulations. <laughs> 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 like fully my parents were yeah. like, um, will they like keep your assistant job for you? Or? <laughs> uh, and here we are. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, you just got me reflecting on that very small time in Netflix's history, history where you just had dvds laying around like will i get to hotel rwanda this weekend probably yeah, probably not,
1: probably not. <laughs> <laughs> many movies that i never did and that's actually how i've watched queer as folk to what? be honest oh that's i, I watched ordered, all of mad men that way i ordered the dvds really? when i was in college um and i would like watch them um at night uh when my roommate was asleep.
5: such an exercise in hope right such at an night. exercise in like i believe in myself <laughs> I, w- I will get to <laughs> philadelphia
1: uh, <laughs> um <laughs> One thing I actually want to touch on that you said, what you talked about being in the writer's room for Orange is the New Black, and you know, you talked about coming out as queer yourself during that process. Do you feel like that sort of made you want to do something like Tails? of the city, do you feel like you have this sort of new responsibility as Mm -hmm. a storyteller that you might not have had when you first got into the industry as, I just want to be a staff writer?
5: For sure. Yeah. And you know what else I think it did for me that I've just been reflecting on a lot with tales coming out is like, I... I had such an insecurity about coming out. I think there was a lot of stuff that came up for me about feeling like I think that we all do in our various corners of the world. Like I wasn't gay enough because Mm -hmm. I didn't know for a long time. But the community embraced me in a way that I didn't like everyone was just like, oh, cool. You're queer. Come on in. (laughs) Like like we are not choosy people. Um, And it. And I think I just feel so much joy because of that and, like, wanting to maybe give back a little bit. And, like, because I uh, have—I feel like I have a lot of privilege in being handed a platform and being able to tell the stories. I'm like, yeah, great. Like, if I happen to be a part of the community who can tell these stories and hopefully tell them with some um, authenticity, like, that's what I want to do. It's so meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. It's like uh, I've been thinking a lot about, like— it's not like Firefighter 19 on CBS. It yeah. feels,
4: <laughs> you know.
5: Uh, it feels really great to be able to, and especially like with all the TV being made, you're like, oh, how cool that there's space for this now. How cool mm-hmm. that Netflix is like, yeah, 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 we'll make this crazy queer, like kind of niche show.
1: I'd watch a queer Firefighter 19 on CBS. Me man. too. <laughs> especially you know,
5: with, if Charlie, Bar- I was going to say if Charlie right. was on it, but Charlie was already on a firefighter show. FYI. Oh, which one? <gasps> he was on, oh, God, what's the name of it? Um, we should YouTube this. Not go Chicago Fire. Fire. It's Chicago Fire. Oh, okay. oh. Saying, that's like, the one I know. Looks
3: like multiple... I'll be watching Chicago Fire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Can I ask you a super vague question about writing queer content? Please. Uh, there's this show, there was a show in Comedy Central that was uh, really great coming back for a second season called The Other Two. There was a, a, a story on it where two gay characters are talking about which one of them is going to eat pizza in the evening because they're going to have sex and one of them's going to bottom. And it's this like coded conversation about bottoming. Uh Legendary in some way because it's a conversation about bottoming. It also to me felt too demure for actual gay people to be talking. Like they would just be talking about it explicitly. And I was thinking, a part of me thinks this is turned, this is cute in a way for straight people to understand it. When you're writing queer content, do you ever think this is ter- turned too outward for straight people and it's not enough for gay people? And what do you, how do you navigate that balance?
5: Yeah, uh, I should say that uh, Sarah Schneider and Chris Kelly, who made the other I two, are my them. dear friends. <laughs> yeah, <they're right. laughs> um, yeah, I'm really conscious of that, actually. I'm really conscious of never putting two queer people on screen and having them have a conversation explicitly for the purpose of educating straight people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I think we pick up on it like that. Right. I mean, um, I think this happens also with like, let's to put like two black characters on TV
3: and have them have a conversation that they would never have. So that white people are like, Oh, Um, it's also been done. Like that, right. That was what like Will and Grace is for. That is Mm -hmm. what, that's what the Cosby show was for. Like it was, to make people comfortable with seeing these people on their television sets at home. And hopefully now you're like, okay, we're past that. Like we had all of, we had the safe, like everyone's okay now with like Mm -hmm. gay people and like, you're okay watching these, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, okay, you've had those sort of safer characters and they have now allowed us to have conversations that are more like real life.
5: Yeah. I think that's right. And I think it's like trusting also that people within marginalized communities can be humanized just by allowing them to be themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because tr- I think I think about that too. Like, um, there's a conversation between Margot and Jake on the show that I think about. Margot's a young, tr- I'm, uh, Jake is a young trans guy. Uh, Margot's in a relationship with him before his transition. They would have been in a lesbian relationship, right? And they have like a pretty nuanced conversation about that in the pilot. And I think it would have been really tempting either for Netflix to be like, are people going to understand this? Which they never did. Uh, Or for me to be like, ooh, let me dumb this down so that people can get it. But it's like, or what if— they could just Google it. If they don't yes, get it, right. <laughs> like what if they can do the work or what if we just trust them to like
2: be there? Yeah. Having faith in people to wiki things is uh, very
1: empowering. Very
5: empowering. <laughs> on but like
1: level. people will wiki the shit out of a random line in game of thrones, you yes. know, so yeah. they can do it for yes. this show. Yes. Too. We
5: can all do a little <laughs> more work.
1: <laughs> so tales of the city was a limited series. Yes. Um, I hope I get to see more, but, um, what, other stories do you feel like you want to tell, like what's next for you?
5: What a fun question. Um, I ha- Boy, this is annoying. I have a show in development at Netflix that I can't talk about yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I just, I really want to tell stories about women. I really want to tell stories about queer people. I feel like there's a lot of stuff getting made. And that means that we can afford to be more specific um, about what we do. And I personally want to be really thoughtful about that and and just make sure that, like, I'm putting stuff into the world that I care about. Because otherwise, like, I don't know, I'll go live in the cabin in, like, the woods or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
5: Yeah. That's what I got.
2: Great. Do you have any other favorite (laughs) stories about women or queer people that you've just seen recently?
5: Whoa. I certainly love the other
2: two a lot. I do too. Uh, It truly is like my new 30 Rocker um, happy endings, where it's just like crack, like jokes. Oh my God.
5: And like just so fast, like fast on a level that I don't understand. Right. Um, I loved special.
2: Oh, Mm. yes. Ryan O'Connell, the Uh, Pride Parade Marshal. Yes. yes,
5: (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's my pal. um, Yeah. I just thought that sex scene when he loses his virginity, I was like, oh my God, this is
2: like really phenomenal like yeah. this is
5: like actual gay
2: sex and that thing. was with brian jordan Aldrez, who is also fabulous on will and grace to bring yeah. it back <laughs> <laughs> um
5: and I'm reading a lot of, like, queer YA
2: these days. Which is, like, most of the market now. Yes. I have no understanding of children today. I don't either. I
5: don't. Well, here's what I know.
2: They're all queer. Okay. <laughs> the
1: Pretty Little Lies were all Every, fucking.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, like, fully indulging the, like, 12-year-old in me who didn't know she was gay and just, like, letting her read about two girls' kiss for the first time. Like, uh, it's really
1: lovely. <laughs> is there any we should check out?
5: Um, I just read one called We Are Okay by Nina LaCour mm-hmm. that I I really love is just about, like, grief, and I just said, it's just about grief. It's—I <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's. Just, it's I lost my father a couple years ago, and so I'm always sort of in search of some material that's talking about grief in a mm, real way. I think we don't talk about grief a lot, um, especially in westernized cultures, and it's really stunning and— there's two two girls in the center of it, which is my favorite brand. Well, well
1: it's YA, so it's probably less depressing than The Leftovers. Yes, correct. It's the last thing I saw about grief, I wanted yeah. to kill myself. <laughs> uh, Laura, thank you for being here. Thanks
5: for having me uh, so much.
1: Tales of the City is amazing. I binged all 10 of them. Did you really? Yes. in one day. Thank you for watching. After Pride, hungover (laughs) on my couch. Oh, that's
5: like the perfect. I know, right? I was with uh, two friends of mine over the weekend, and I was like, oh, I just hope people watch. And she was like, what are introverted queers going to do this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yes, that's our brand.
1: We'll be right back. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
0: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time.
1: Where's Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman when you need them? <laughs> <laughs> I've been asking that for years. Kyle Kashuv, a Parkland shooting survivor and a conservative gun rights activist. What a sentence. Don't put him in any boxes. <laughs> Was recently denied being able to go to Harvard.
3: Oh, he had been accepted. He had
1: been accepted, but the offer was rescinded after screenshots of messages between him and his friends revealed his repeated use of the N-word.
3: And repeated, I have to stress, was so many times. (laughs) Never has the word repeated been more apropos.
1: I saw nigger in these screenshots more times than in a Tarantino script. Sure was. (laughs) In a series of Twitter posts, we discovered his offer was rescinded because Kashuv added Harvard and went on a long-ass thread questioning their decision, attacking them for their own racist past. So we'll get to that.
3: <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. And, <laughs>
1: and calling on, um, I guess, Twitter and middle-aged white men to write op-eds defending him. Asking to see Harvard's manager, et cetera.
3: He <sighs> you know, it's <laughs> it's not funny, obviously, but it is it's funny. Um he 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 feels it's just always nice when you see the the persecution jump out like mm-hmm. he really thinks someone's doing something to him. Something is being done to him as opposed to consequences for your shitty actions, which I know it's hard for teenagers to understand that like the defining characteristic of a teenager is not understanding that your actions have consequences Mm -hmm. but truly the number of adults because you know what you had no fucking problem with uh finding consequences for Trayvon Martin's actions Mm -hmm. because that was the argument a lot of you used oh well he got in a fight like what did he expect and now all of a sudden now all of a sudden you don't have consequences for your actions
1: or people like Ben Shapiro's who Had no problem attacking other Parkland students because they were anti-gun, but they love Kashuv because he is pro-gun, was a member of the right-wing group Turning Point USA with such icons as Charlie Kirk and Candace <laughs> Owens. <laughs> Good lord. Um and um he went on Fox News and like gave speeches at the NRA. Like he was like, oh, he was the right wing darling that came out of that unfortunate incident, right? And they sort of glommed onto him. And it's really just sort of exposing this thing that was exposed during the um Kavanaugh hearings, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that these sort of white men see these people as a conduit of themselves, you know, the idea that Kashuv is responsible for his actions sort of calls into question the idea that they did some things in their past maybe that, you know, could harm them. Or maybe it's sort of like this censorship is coming to affect us, you know? Right.
3: I mean, it. the other thing is the way people treat— this like and he said something like it was i was my youthful ignorance or some shit it's like calling your classmates nigger jocks (laughs) it's not like slipping on a banana peel it's like
2: whoops (laughs) how did that get out my favorite i love lucy bit. yeah like that's my favorite avenger
3: yeah Yeah. oh like oh my god it was such an accident it's like no no those weren't accidents that's your fucking character jumping out. Yes. That's who you are. Because you know what a lot of people manage to do? They manage to get through their whole fucking lives without saying shit like nigger jock.
2: Mm. Correct Though, me if I'm wrong. Yes. Harvard is the elite institution. Number one. What are they supposed to do? Not reject you?
3: And they've, they've done this. They've also, <laughs> <laughs> also, Harvard has done this before. Like they have... And not even just Harvard, like other schools. Like there's one of my favorite type of story is stories of high school kids getting kicked out of their dream colleges because people found some racist shit that they had said.
1: Right. We literally had the question of are kids going to be able to go to schools after their parents were scamming to get them into them. Right. So it's like this isn't unusual for offers to be rescinded right. for uh, bad behavior. And my favorite thing about uh his behavior is the fact that it has gotten people to say things like, how are we holding someone accountable for what they said at 16? I'm like, bitch, isn't the whole point of a college admission being held accountable for what you were doing at age 16? And also, by the way, what was that, a year and a half ago? Yeah. i that not pretending
2: it was my, in the 80s. My
3: favorite, <laughs> there was an interview. He's on Fox News.
1: Oh, That
2: interview and, was
3: wild. And so he's doing, he's like trying to spin this shit. And he says something about Harvard having owned slaves. Like, like, Harvard, like people who founded Harvard owned slaves and then the dude on Fox News when a Fox News anchor is like hold up though didn't you say this like two years ago a year like, and a half like a even, year and a half he corrected even, yeah even the Fox <laughs> News anchor is like sir this is not the argument you want to go with
1: yes uh oh sorry it was it was him who said a year and a half uh, yeah and the Fox News anchor was like
3: <laughs> yeah I mean when even that guy is like I don't know man I don't know that this is I don't know that this is the angle you want to play with this.
1: Right. So it's because some racist people went to Harvard before. um, You should be allowed to go. (laughs) because you were racist as well but also in the past and you know time is 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 not like a line it's just sort of like it's all there everything like yesterday is the same as what happened in 1776 correct me for moment, was there
2: any advantage to him posting publicly about getting rejected? no he literally should make amends do what he can like there are formal ways you can be like I'm not a racist I'm going to do this 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 and this and then reapply or whatever but, it's, but now it's this public thing where he's making it a whole other issue it's that
3: because he wants to feel persecuted. Yes. That's what it is. It's like, and white men, straight white men love that shit. Any opportunity where they have been wronged, when other people are wronged on a second by second basis, at every second of the day, there's a marginalized person being fucked over or injured or actually hurt in a real way. And these men just like anytime they get a chance to dig into like, I'm being a victim here. That's the only reason he did it. Harvard's not going to change his mind because fucking Ben Shapiro tweets at them like there's it's he knows that it's done but it i think it it satisfies that sense of like i have been wronged and unlike when it happens to like a black person or a gay person or or you know whoever people are going to feel bad for him
1: mm-hmm. well i will posit that he probably did think something would happen it's the same sort of thing that we get you know when you you know tweet at an airline and think that, like, <laughs> maybe you have enough followers. Maybe that blue check mark will get them to, like, give you that uh, refund that uh, they wouldn't normally give people. I mean, and sometimes it works. And I think for a teenager who has become sort of this public figure and has had, like, sit down meetings with President Trump. Like in his mind, he thinks that like, oh, maybe Trump will call Harvard <laughs> or something, you know. And it's like, first of all, Harvard is not taking calls from President Fucking Trump. <laughs> Two, Trump don't care about your ass now. Because <laughs> here's the thing: <laughs> these <laughs> these white people like Trump who do this whole "we're not racist" song and dance, right? Uh, they are able to do this overt racism, but not get caught saying the one thing that Republicans at least can't pretend isn't racist. So you saying nigger a bunch of times means that you are not getting a call from Trump, sir,
2: because you you are done. You're finished. He's ineligible. Wow. Which is pretty wild.
3: I also just another huge fuck you to the person who tweeted, you know what Barack Obama should do? is call Harvard and try to convince them to let this kid in so he could do something for his image of like goodwill and as a peacemaker. And I tweeted this. I'm not saying that he should have gotten the Nobel Peace Prize. It did feel a bit early, Mm -hmm. but he has a Nobel Peace Prize. There's no other thing he needs to look like a peacemaker. And the idea that the first black president of the united fucking states would take a second out of his day to call harvard to defend some little white shit for saying nigger a bunch of times have you people lost your goddamn minds he
1: is busy creating a rival podcast company okay <laughs> <laughs> he is busy i just the,
3: the, the audacity for that thought to even enter your mind Do you know what barack obama should do you know how like Lori Obama, right, like, you know how Barack <laughs> Obama should spend his time yeah. calling the manager at Harvard yeah. and complaining about this racist kid, and then the audacity. To tweet it, mm-hmm. I, that it even entered your mind, is bonkers. And then you said, let me put this down for the world to see. Are you insane?
1: Well, to be fair, he only saw the cover of The Audacity of Hope. That's right. <laughs> Didn't know what it was about. D- yeah, you saw
3: Audacity. <laughs> By... Har- it's about having Harvard on speed
1: dial. <laughs> so my favorite um, thing about this entire incident is just sort of the soap opera way that he was sort of taken down and got his Harvard um, acceptance rescinded, it was because of something completely unrelated to him even going to Harvard or even saying the N-word, right? So there is a video where Bill Nye was talking about climate control and he swears in it. And it sort of went viral because people were like, oh, Bill Nye is swearing, et cetera. He, quote, tweeted that video talking about how Bill Nye sounded like, you know, like a middle schooler, like screaming at his Xbox or something um, that he was sort of degrading himself by using this language. That's what caused someone who went to school with him (laughs) to tweet at him and say, if you want to talk about people using language that uh, denigrates them, let's talk about the language that you don't want people knowing that you've used in the past. Right. So he set himself up and it was— beautiful easy. and it was, it was easy it was yeah. beautiful <laughs> it was like you should have mind your own fucking business and he could have still been at harvard right but because he decided to get cute on twitter <laughs> with bill <laughs> nine of all fucking people He got taken down.
3: I mean, and also these teens, these youths have their receipts. I'm like, I don't see these children without a phone on with the red with with the recording on. Like these kids have all of your shit documented. This isn't going to work. You can't get away with this anymore. Their entire lives. They're just like they have files on like. Who we got today? Now, obviously,
2: I'm afraid of teens, period. But the fact that they communicate so well in their underground Google Docs network, too, what mm, is more frightening?
1: Right?
3: Yeah, I I, I mean, I throughout all of all of the aftermath of the shooting, one of the things that I most admired was like the way that these Parkland students were just like coming for people's fucking necks. They were like. Oh, you know, we, we have been traumatized. We've gone through this thing, but like we are angry and we're going to do something about it. And we're coming for all of you adults or not. And so I like, I'm glad that that same energy they're keeping up that same energy for, mm-hmm. uh, for everyone around them. <laughs> bill Nye. He's going to think about that for a long time.
1: Yes. You got taken down by commenting on a bill fucking night video. Oh, <laughs> <Ugh. That's cute. laughs> <laughs> uh, I love laughing at racist teenagers Who can't go to college
3: <laughs> And here's the thing He can go get coffee life. with
1: he's, Abigail Fisher He's
3: also he's gonna go to college right. That's the other thing Like he's like his life is not his. The worst thing that has happened to him Has already happened to him Right you his I,
1: sad response um, To the thread like the final one was Well I turned down other colleges Because I thought I was going to Harvard What am I supposed to do now
3: so you take that gap year? You apply next year.
1: Yeah, right. go to Italy, bitch.
3: Like it's, <laughs> it, it, you're fine.
1: Teach for America. <laughs> oh my god!
3: Watch and you. You know god. what I bet. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with like a White House internship or some shit like that mm. in the meantime.
1: Or just like join like is the blaze still open? Like <laughs> I don't know. Does Megyn Kelly need an intern? Do they need more examining at the Washington Examiner? <laughs> there are a myriad of jobs for a young racist teenager, you know, with uh, with dreams with with dreams and 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 mantis eyes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm- not even going to add man. anything. <laughs> uh,
1: when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the week, as usual. It's keep it, but maybe it's our least favorite segment. Oh, man. This time.
3: Yeah, there's some news. Yeah, Kara. Um, This will be my second to last keep it episode um
1: the audience just gassed
3: they just gassed i know i mean let's be honest i'll probably roll up again <laughs> um but your, your
1: project
2: yes.
3: <laughs> i yeah i'm like moving on to go to go work on some things which i uh will hopefully be able to inform you all about soon um but this is we got to start playing end of the road boys to men
1: I know, I'm going to bring some Hennessy next week and just oh. just pour it out, <laughs> pour it out. Um, we'll, we'll gather the whole gang. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll even let Jon Favreau peek his head in. He
3: can, <laughs> he can sit on the... There's a chair that's sort of off in the corner behind a tripod. Um, he can sit there.
1: Uh,
2: uh, if Voice does come here, your sister also has to come here. Then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, uh. I'll, we have a lot of planning to do between now and next week's episode, but... Yeah. We'll we'll get on it.
1: Listen, 83 episodes um next week. Mm-hmm.
3: It's a long run. It is. It's a long run. I'm tired.
1: It's not quite syndication. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you don't get the hundredth episode cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's something.
3: <laughs> I'll take it.
1: Anyway, Kara, you look perched. <laughs> you are ready for your keep it. What is it?
3: I don't know if you guys saw recently, but we have a we have a new person on Twitter.
1: Which is what we need.
2: It is yes.
3: OJ Simpson. Oh,
2: him. Mm. OJ
3: Simpson fired up a Twitter account. And he's only <laughs> been tweeting videos, so he doesn't <laughs> seem to understand what Twitter is. Give of it. Yeah. So OJ Simpson is out here. He did a video where he's like, I'm I'm here, Twitter, you're gonna hear. All of my opinions on football and politics. And then he said very ominously, and I'm going to get even with with a few people, Which something I, to that effect. he's known and, for that." And I just I'm not sure he understands the quickest way for him to end up back in prison was starting a Twitter account. Like he's for sure he's going to end up back in prison like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You're doing videos. He did another video. On Father's Day, I think, where he just wanted to let everyone know that he's not attracted to Chris Jenner, never fucked her, and isn't Khloe Kardashian's father. That's that's how he's spending his time. And the worst part is, I kind of wanted to follow him. Oh my god! Mm. I don't feel good about it, but I just like you know, it's 2019. I'm in the chaos already. Mm-hmm. I might as well lean into it. I didn't, and I'm not going to follow him. <laughs> but I want to be on top of it when inevitably he, you know, admits to another crime, uh, another murder. Um, And I think the thing with O.J. Simpson that I find most confusing, not even confusing, actually, like, I guess if you did get away with murder, and in particular as like a black man, I guess you would be really fucking cocky about it. Mm-hmm. I guess you're like, wow, I am invincible. I mean, I like I I guess I get the feeling where he's like, what are they going to do? I murdered a white lady and I'm still here. That's not even the shit I went to prison for. I guess I get why you would feel emboldened by that. Um, but it's terrifying and it just is so apropos. Um, it because- also we were joined the same. The same week, like this weekend, also on Father's Day, Bill Cosby tweeted, like a Bill Cosby account, and and he calling himself, himself America's, yeah. dad. America's dad.
1: America's dad.
2: So
3: that's where we're at. <laughs> I I don't know.
2: Yeah. Keep
1: America's dad away from the pill cabinet.
2: Once upon a time, if you were following O.J. Simpson, you were at a private investigator. I miss those days. <laughs>
1: you weren't just somebody's cousin.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. Look, I'm not going to follow him. Um, but I am gonna watch those videos. It's
1: weird you know? because I was uh, tweeting about the fact that he's gonna think that he can be like Trump on Twitter, right? right. And just be crazy and say whatever he wants. But Trump is one white. Trump is two a president who has the GOP falling on swords for him, and three it's Trump never went to prison. <laughs> like Trump's invincibility comes from the fact that his family has been laundering money and pulling scams in New York for decades. Like they've literally gotten away with so much shit. It yeah. makes sense that they act like they're invisible, invincible. You went to jail for for robbing someplace. Right. Yeah. And so I believe he said it was stealing back what was his. Or yeah, it was like memorabilia. Guys, yeah. L- Listen to his. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's going to get even. With that auctioneer. I mean. Uh, But it's like you went to jail for something really dumb. So what makes you think that you will not get caught up again?
3: Because he didn't go to jail for the biggest thing that he did. That's why he feels that way. I. Yeah.
1: He even wrote if I did it.
3: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) listen, if I were him, I would be worried about Ron Goldman's family. I'm not giving anyone ideas, but I wouldn't taunt those people with this bullshit.
2: Yeah, a couple of quote tweets from the from that family. And yeah, you may be toast again.
3: Yeah, I I'm not sure that that's the way I go about it. But I mean, we li- it's just like
1: while he was in prison, um, revenge aired on ABC. So that family may have some
3: ideas. Look, it's just like, of course, of course, in 2019, fucking OJ Simpson has a Twitter. Like, of, why wouldn't he? Of course he does.
1: Ugh. Remember when he used to be hot?
3: I mean, I don't because I was, you know, four, but mm.
2: yeah, well, occasionally you'll run across on Twitter, like a clip of him being on Dave Letterman is just a funny guest. And it really is among those chilling things and, you can see.
3: You know, he doesn't look
1: or in old movies. Yeah.
2: Like Nick gun He, Naked he yeah. doesn't
3: look terrible for however long he was in prison. I gotta say fair. Um,
2: Guiltlessness doesn't age. You.
3: Yeah. Apparently not. Apparently mm. not. Um, evil. It's the one time where evil has preserved someone well instead of Sarah Huckabee Sanders where she's fucking. Sorry, I won't even. I can't. Mm. I don't even. This is the lesson we learned from Death Becomes Her. Evil can
1: preserve
2: her.
3: Well, you know what? She doesn't have a job anymore. She doesn't.
1: She's gone. She doesn't. She's gone. She is. She is hoping to join The View.
3: Listen, maybe OJ Simpson needs a social media manager. That can be Sarah Huckabee Sanders' (laughs) second act. Go record those videos of OJ that he's going to post on Twitter.
2: Too real. (laughs) Lewis.
1: What is your keep it this week?
2: Often I run from keep and pick something safe. That's actually like a, a cuddly compliment to somebody. This is the opposite. Unfortunately, it's a keep it to Madonna's new album, Madame X. Um, I don't know if you know this. I foremost identify as a Madonna stand. I too am a repressed Midwesterner with a Catholic background who had a gap in his teeth for a long time and likes popcorn a lot. Did you know that that's Madonna's favorite food anyway, mm. guys, the lyrics on this album, and this is a tradition going back to now I'll say 1998, Ray of light was the album, and that that was the album where she lost faith in herself as kind of just a symbol who can deliver like by virtue of being Madonna is powerful and decided she needed to be, quote, wise, yes, needed to have lessons for us, needed to like you know, like take the the light from the Kabbalah and give it to us via song. That was the beginning of that since then, her sort of like obsession with like platitudes with like a vague martyr complex, et cetera, have just turned into the most not just boring, but like incoherent lyrics. I just don't know what any of these songs are about really. And occasionally she'll say things, she'll invoke Israel. She'll invoke Africa as a general concept, which is my favorite thing. She
1: said, I am a woman who has been raped. She compl- she compared herself to Africa. She compared herself to a woman who's wait been the raped. whole continent. She compared herself to the gays. Yes, to poor people. That song "Killers Who Are Partying" is maybe wait, the worst thing she's ever. Been. I think it's the album, number one. This
3: album is out. It
1: just yes. came out. Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I I mean, like I've seen her do the interviews with that fucking eye patch, and I <laughs> <Yeah>. kept scrolling. <laughs> I was like, not t- I can't not today. I didn't realize the album has she been have they been pushing this?
2: she's gonna tour with it eventually it's it's she's like the queen of the bundling so uh, like now yeah. she has a tour where you have to pay seven hundred dollars and you own eight copies of that album yeah uh. um there are a couple songs that wander into disco and wander into like a Latin moment that I enjoy but it's all you like that despite what is coming out of her mouth, which is often garbled. Mm-hmm. I often can't understand what she is saying. And I would I would say her signature attribute as a singer, at least in the 80s and 90s through the 2000s, was she could really convey joy in her voice. And now she can't do that anymore. She feels, it, it feels tentative. It feels strange and very auto-tuned in a way that is not like Madonna.
1: Yeah, so I've obviously been on like a roller coaster as someone who likes Madonna. You know, I love... Mm-hmm the 90s stuff the most. Mm -hmm. I'm someone who defends Rebel Heart and Hard Candy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I mean, I think American Life is underrated. Has its moments. However, I enjoy parts of this album. There's some songs that I think are really good, but as a whole, as I'm continuing to listen to it, it's really just sort of a mess. And I will say that her as a pop star, you know, before, uh, she seemed comfortable letting other people sort of take a driver's seat, you know, like maybe write songs for her mm-hmm. um and she could deliver it, you know? Like she had the charisma, the uniqueness, the nerve and the talent, you know? And it's I feel like she is crafting these herself. Totally. Yes, on the back of some scroll and I I wish she would not. Right.
2: Or, yeah, just allow somebody to edit, like change up the very obvious rhymes that don't pay off. Things like that. Just lyrically. It's so like clunk, clunk. Which is like, you know
1: what? We have many great artists who songwriting was not their suit. And if it's not yours anymore, Madonna, move on. How is she
3: not just like picked up the phone and called Sia? And been like, girl, because she has been writing all these like,
1: precisely too much pride and too much of a insane Madonna fan base echo chamber that makes her believe that anything that she writes um, has the keys to enlightenment.
2: Because
3: I don't think of her as like an amazing songwriter.
2: Though she did, she's kind of like a Mariah, where a lot of the signature songs you know about, she actually did Mariah.
3: Mariah, it's all of her shit. Like Mariah is like a like all of like her hits like. All, like, almost all of Mariah's hits, it's—and when you look at her albums, like, she's writing, like, those entire albums. Wow.
2: And allegedly, that's the case with Madonna. I mean, like, yeah. she wrote Vogue,
1: you know? Yeah. She wrote, wow. you know— The Rich Jews we act chopped out.
3: I mean, just, I'm, uh, yeah. it's just, it's I mean, just I also review got no, no. dragged
1: by Madonna's Madonna dad because half of the review was like, so she's not as good as Mariah. Stella. I mean, I, 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 uh,
3: I am not a, I'm not a Madonna person. So I, I, I obviously agree with that. Uh
1: The best part was that they were just digging through his Instagram, finding photos of him in Mariah Carey shirts and saying, you're a Mariah fan. You're a lamb. He's like
3: a no, no, but he's like a noted Mariah fan. So like, they're not clever. <laughs>
1: I just love the concept of Madonna fans in social media because you know we've talked about Taylor stands and their insanity but like those make sense because they're used yep, like yeah. Taylor's been out only for like a decade or so. Um, Madonna stands I'm like sir you should I get off of your Android phone.
3: I feel like Madonna fans are tweeting but like signing their tweets.
2: Sure. Mm, well, yeah. Also, by the way, I feel like, I mean, like I operated as a stand for years and years and years. I still am one to a certain degree. I always felt like that a strength of Madonna fans were that even the most hardcore had a bone to pick with her. Like, okay, right. at that moment you had whatever at the VMAs I hated or whatever, but because that, that's what's cool about her. She's like a, you know, provocateur yeah. or whatever.
1: But I feel like within this era and the past couple of years, and maybe it's combating, you know, like the ageism and stuff that happens with her, I feel like that sort of, I have a bone to pick with her, or like being able to be rational as a Madonna fan, has sort of jumped out the window.
2: Right, you end up defending all these other these other stupid gripes that people yeah. have about her.
1: I mean, I feel like once you had to start defending her, like calling her something Edward on Instagram, it was a slippery slope, and you <laughs> lost sense of reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have a keep it? You can you I, can play too if you want. I do have I do have a keep it. You know, I have a. It's just been pressing on my soul. Mm-hmm. You know, it is Pride Month. And um, listen, um, Rachel Dolezal is actually, you know what? Looks like we don't have time for it today. (laughs) Looks like we don't have time. Anyway, that's our show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again to Lauren Morelli for being here. And uh, we will see you next week for Kara's last episode. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week.